all he does is catch the football. That's, that is beautiful. That's why I came to West Virginia, man. Ding dong, the witch is dead in Arizona. This is a totally energized Heinz Field, the power of the Renegade song. The backyard brawl, man, against Pitt. Look at that. Oh, there's Rob Wolfley. Wow! They came after Donovan McNabb, went after him. They played to win the game. Everybody's going bonkers, even the referees. Oh, those, those look like some sticky gloves right there. We talk about 50-50. Right now it's 50-50. Who's going to get it? Game came with cover zero. Man across the board. Pick up a flag because, hey, and then with the Renegade song, even flags don't count. They're going to get an Italian army behind them right there, just like Franco Harris. My goodness, that is pure guts. Give me a pepperoni roll, man. Hello, and welcome to the Three Wolves of Football, the boys from Orchard Park, the Outsiders. We have a special show for you this week, but first of all, we want to say, hey, Happy New Year to you from myself, the Wolfman, and of course, eldest brother, Craig, Derek. Happy New Year. And, and Roddy Paul. What's up? Happy New Year, everybody. Well, now let's get this show kicked off right. Happy New yeah. Year out of the way. Let's get it going because we have a special report for the first time ever on the three wolves of football, and that is Arizona Cardinals sideline reporter, my goodness, and radio TV show host. I'm going to tell you this, a.k.a. It's Polly Pigskin slash <laughs> Pencil Neck Ink, but it's Paul Calvisi. Hey, guys, great to be on. Uh, you know what? I'm joining you from the backyard right now because it's the holidays. There's no football talk inside Casa Calvisi, okay? But Happy New Year in 2022 to everyone and beyond as we go into 2023. With all due respect to Howard Stern, um, Polly's not only the grandmaster guru sensei of media, he is the king of all media. He is, <laughs> from a belt-high perspective, of course. Right. Um, well, look, okay. I, I just got out of a press conference who I think might be a future king of media uh, because a couple hours ago, J.J. Watt met the media. And you can't tell me that he doesn't have big plans in the media sector coming up. Mm. He's not saying right now, but he's got a game plan. And I'm yeah, guessing but, it involves you know what, TV. Holly- yeah, don't try to deflect, Polly. I mean, that was nice right there. Um, you want television? <laughs> Guys, Polly can do television. You, you want some radio thrown in there? Got it. Um, you want Polly to write a column? Polly could write a column. Done. You want content? You want Paul Calvisi? Polly, I really do appreciate you coming on and joining us here tonight. Well, let's hope I, I check those boxes. We'll see. No no writing, though, okay? That reminds me of my college days and getting an English degree, okay? That feels too much like homework. Broadcasting, at least, is fun. So none of this website calmness stuff. I'm not down with that. That's where I draw the line. Uh, and I think some would say maybe after Wolf, uh, and, and I got to remember to call you guys by your first names or your nicknames because <laughs> no one knows who I'm talking to if I just go with Wolf. But after right. Sunday Night Football, where I filled in for Dave Pash, who's a top five play-by-play man on the planet. Uh, let's just say that's one area where I'm still tr- striving to improve. It's my on my New Year's resolutions list for 2023. Put it that way. Get better in the play-by-play forum. Because Pash is a back You did a great job, and you know you did. Well, I wouldn't have you out of here if you sucked. 
Okay, because after after I, I heard you out there with Pony, I'm like, hey man, Pauly P, he did a great job. And, and but the one question I have is that everybody wants to know now is why do they call you Pauly Pigskin slash Pencil Neck Ink? <laughs> Well, okay, that's the name of the uh, the company that I'm hoping to form upon my own retirement. Okay, so the ink is 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 just sort of portends the big plans I I may have that may not be based in reality, but a man can dream, right? Especially this time of year. Uh, as for the pigskin end of it, you know what, guys? I've been doing this since I was an intern at KPIX, the CBS TV affiliate, in the late '80s, and I was a college intern, and they used to send me to 49ers training camp. And so there I was, a 19-year-old, interviewing Joe Montana and Ronnie Lott and Jerry Rice, and it just stuck with me. You know, I got done with college, and those four years went out the window because I got into TV, and all I needed was a resume tape, and it had nothing to do with college, just how could you perform on camera and on the mic. And I went to Medford, Oregon. It was like minor league baseball, market 150, and worked my way up from there. And unless you get to a top 25 market, you're never going to make a living. And so, boom, you know, Ron and I go all the way back to the late 90s where we did a radio show together for several years, and we've been doing Cardinals broadcasts since 2005. You know, Paulie, okay. when you think about that, hold on, Soda Bob. When yeah. you think about that right there, oh my goodness, man. I mean, what is it, 18 years? We we're actually we've been doing this in terms of uh the broadcast and broadcasting together, of course. And of all the games that we have seen, you as the sideline guy for the Arizona Cardinals, and I I as the radio analyst, of course, is there one game, Paul, to you? I've never asked you this question. This is what's truly amazing. I've never asked you this. All the years that you've been my good buddy, I've never asked you, has there been one game that has stood out as opposed to something else? You know, the obvious answer would be Super Bowl forty-three and our loss to Craig and the Steelers at the very <laughs> end. But honestly, I would probably go back to the two weeks before that in an NFC championship game in Arizona at State Farm Stadium just the utter elation in the building when you beat the Eagles to go to the Super Bowl, the, the supposed worst playoff team in the history of the postseason based on what Chris Collinsworth said going into that postseason, (laughs) the whole Kurt Warner and the rallying cry after every win shocked the world. And that's exactly what happened. Just the confetti coming down and literally adults, men and women, grown men and women crying, in the stands as they brought out the stage to hand the Cardinals the George Hallis Trophy for the NFC Championship. Just that moment right there, um, just as unexpected, and just the elation involved with that. Yeah, that'd probably be the one. I mean, there are plenty of games and individual performances, and there's the good and then there's the bad. There's there's Anquan Bolden getting his face broken in the end zone at the Jets. There's stuff like that that you'll never forget stuff, moments that are just so grisly. And then less than two weeks later, he's on a radio show, the big red rage, Anquan Bolden with his mouth wired shut, answering questions in an hour radio show, just the respect you have for the ultra tough guys of the game like that. But in terms of just one moment, one happening, the Cardinals clinching the NFC going to Super Bowl 43. That's gotta be atop the old poly power pole. Yeah. Ding dong. The witch is dead. <laughs> All right. Soda. <laughs> That's not, that's not every opening we do, Paul. But, hey, speaking of the game on Christmas night and uh, talking about the game, let's, let's hear about this clip here, and, and then you can go ahead and talk about uh, up there in the booth. A hole and stood up. 
and the Cardinals are signaling it is their football. Turnover on downs. J.J. Watt exulting all the way to the sideline as Lucky Fotu and company, they gang tackle Leonard Fournette, and it's Cardinals football. Tanner Vallejo at the epicenter of that tackle as well. Oh, my goodness. That's huge, Paulie. A huge momentum swing early in this game. All right. Well, anyways, I wanted you to hear that because, see, you didn't suck. That was pretty good. And you made Pony Boy sound a whole lot better. And, you know, I know uh, going from sideline to booth, there's got to be something different. And, Derry, I know that you had to do that same transition, man, uh, for, what, 18 years yourself on the sidelines? The last two couple years up there in the booth? Yeah, that's, you know, it's a transition. Here, the thing about the sidelines is you're with the men. You're down there with the testosterone, the blood, all the kind of stuff going on, you know. You got to keep your head on a swivel. You got to be quick. You know, in 18 years, thank goodness, and I thank God, I never got picked off on the sidelines. You know, <laughs> you got to watch out down there, man. I'm telling you what. We were down in Dallas, and one of our doctors, I I just left him, like, 90 seconds, and he gets creamed by uh, one of the one of the Dallas Cowboys, you know, down in Tampa. I'm with one of the doctors. I leave him 90 seconds later. He gets creamed by another. I'm sitting there going, man, they're trying to they're, – they're, they're looking for me. See, they keep getting the docs, but they're looking for me, you know. Now I'm thinking, well, you got to be ready to break down on them, you know. <laughs> no, no, man, I, you got to be careful down there, don't you, Paulie? When in doubt, get out. Yeah. Get out of the way. That's my yes. saying. And, and and if they get anywhere past the hash marks, I'm already in a backpedal. I mean, I'm not I'm not messing around. No, here's the key. When they're coming at you, you gotta go north or south. You can't go backwards. If you go backwards, you're in the line of fire. What I always made sure of, look for the still shot camera guys, the photographers. They're always the last to bail out, so I get behind them. That's right. It's funny. Once upon a time, uh, Wolf, you remember Deuce Latouille, all 385 yes. pounds of him, right? Uh, one time Deuce showed up for training camp, and the uh, the standard scale didn't work. They had to find one of these scales designed for livestock to get Deuce Latouille to get a true weight on him. Anyway, Deuce used to tell me that the offensive linemen, and, and Dale and Craig, you guys can maybe confirm or deny this, they said that they would look for guys like me to break their fall if they came barreling <laughs> towards the sideline. That was his line. And so I get out. And by the way, there was a team doctor about 10 years ago. He told me that, and he got out, he got smashed, went head over heels, okay, jumps up. I'm good. I'm good. No worries. He woke up at 5 a.m. He could barely move. He got up, went to his own doctor's office, and gave himself his own x ray of his spine because he thought his back was broken. He ended up being okay. But that's how much pain he was in the next morning. So. Paulie, I want to ask you this uh, in regard to the game. Um, speaking of painful, it's been a painful season, of course. But talk a little bit about that game, your impression against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, your impressions of that game. I tell you, Tom Brady, um, I know there's a lot of talk that if the Buccaneers make it to the postseason and you have a lot of unproven playoff quarterbacks in the NFC, Jalen Hurst doesn't have a playoff win. What has Kirk Cousins really ever done in the playoffs, et cetera? I think that's why a lot of people fear Aaron Rodgers if they actually get into the playoffs. And everybody's thinking, oh, Tom Brady, right? It's all me, right, from New England. And he'll get in, and just like they were a four seed once in 2020, and they had three road wins, and then they won the Super Bowl at home. Hey, why can't they replicate that all over again? But, Ron, you tell me, based on some of the receivers he missed, 
based on the lack of a downfield passing attack. And let's just say his unwillingness to get hit. The fact he wasn't sacked that game, you think, man, that's realized nine times out of ten, he's hitting the check down. There's nothing more important than him just getting rid of the football. And I just don't know how viable that offense is if he's not throwing it downfield because they came into the game dead last in rushing. So I'm not nearly as bullish on a Tampa postseason run as I was before watching them for 60 minutes. Yeah, you know, Paulie, guys, also, um, it was a weird situation to see that. I had two impressions, two impressions of that game. Number one, the Cardinals are playing to the whistle. Uh, You know, guys out there did not quit. When you got guys like J.J. Watt, and we're going to get into that, I know, momentarily. But when you have guys like J.J. Watt out on the field, um, that's not a shock. But the Cardinals didn't quit. Um, Being pros, playing to the whistle, I love that. Uh, Tom Brady um, is not Tom Brady, not the Tom Brady that I know. He's off. And yet, when it mattered most, the dude played his best. (laughs) And the Cardinals were up by 10 in the fourth quarter, and Brady looked bad, and then he didn't. And then it was overtime. And then he played well enough to win the game. So in summation overall, guys, Brady wasn't Brady, and then he was Brady. And that is my biggest impression of the game. Yeah. And that's that's a great point. You're right. He went six for six on the last touchdown drive. And then in overtime, he was nails. His passer rating like nearly doubled from the point at which they were sick down 16 to six without 10 minutes to go in the game. So so you're right on that one. Then my yeah, my other takeaway. It is amazing the Cardinals have not bottomed out. I mean, they at least haven't given up, and they are fighting. There's no doubt. You got Tom Brady with his 331st career start against Trace McSorley making his first career start. So it would have been easy for the rest of the team to go, hey, we got no chance, and that wasn't the case. Um, And then you realize, yeah, you're watching the end of J.J. Watt's career, and he was dominant in that first half. For the second straight week, they had to make halftime adjustments just to account for J.J. Watt. Denver did it after a three-sack first half. Tampa did it in the second half this last game. You know, Paul, I have to say thank you for this excellent commentating and your analysis because that's what we're lacking on this show. <laughs> uh, but uh, with that being said, I've hold been on, hold on. Let's all, Can we all say this together? <laughs> Let's all say this again. At least you didn't suck, Paulie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to play this JJ Watt. Then go ahead and tell us about JJ Watt. He put out that tweet uh, about 2014, a great career. You know, just recap him for us. Well, look, here's the thing. And you see J.J. Watt with a three-touchdown catch season in 2014. It's just remarkable. Max Williams, Cardinals tight end today, he joked that he's pretty sure that J.J. Watt has more career touchdowns than he does as a longtime NFL tight end, and he's got to do something about that. Okay, just a remarkable. And then you, you remember you remember J.J. Watt's story. He was a two-star recruit, a tight end at Central Michigan. He lasted his freshman year, said – no mas, I'm out, no bueno, went home to Wisconsin, then he walked on at Wisconsin as a defensive end. And then all of a sudden he's an All-American, he's the number 11 pick. He actually struggled much of his rookie year. Vance Joseph was on that staff. He said it wasn't until December, and then he had a breakout couple of playoff games where he became J.J. Watt. And just the maniacal preparation, guys. We talk about Tom Brady and how Every moment of his life is dedicated to football. And that was Cliff Kingsbury's assessment of Tom Brady. Well, Ron, we were doing the TV show. And as a former teammate of Tom Brady, well, J.J. Watt's sort of the defensive equivalent of that. 
He was in every single day of the offseason. Guys were on vacation. There was J.J. Watt working. So in some ways, I really wonder, guys, if he's not going to get to February and March and regret this decision. I, I honestly think because it's such been such a trying year and there have been so many losses and there's been so much offseason drama. I mean, the Cardinals have been team turbulence in so many ways, 2022. Yeah. I wonder how much it wore on J.J. Watt. He's 33. He's playing some of his best football. You guys saw the, the, the montage they put on Sunday Night Football. His get-off is still ultra quick. He's still dominating. I, I really wonder if he gets to the offseason because he cited a couple other things. One, he had the heart scare. He, he went into AFib midseason. They had to shock his heart back into rhythm. That was a health scare. And then number two, he's a brand new father. And, and you guys know what that sort of makes you reassess your priorities. And that's a good thing. But I do wonder if he's going to miss the game in the offseason for a guy who will most definitely be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's got over 111 sacks in his career. He's got two 20 sack seasons. It's just re- when you look at his career stats, three time NFL defensive player of the year. He's a legend. He really is. No, Paul, I'm with you on that one right there. And you know my belief on this, guys. Um, A professional athlete, for the most part, has got to see his own athletic mortality at some point in time. There are very, very few guys. Go back and look at it. There are very, very few guys that have played professionally for a long period of time that didn't actually have that season where you knew in your heart, oh, my goodness, I'm, you know, I am going downhill at this point in time, and my career is declivitous. There, there are very, very few guys that go out on top and walk away from the game on their terms. Um, listen, J.J. Watt is simply a slam dunk Hall of Famer, and there's no debate about that. Uh, there are few guys that you could say that about, but he's – He's going out, I think, the way that he wants to. And, Paulie, I, 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 I hear what you're saying. It doesn't make sense. He would be – this would be one of those guys that would be going out um, on his terms. This would be one of, one of the guys that would be going out on top without seeing his own athletic mortality. As you said, Paul, I mean, here's a guy, his numbers. He's got nine and a half sacks. He's got two games left. He's got nine and a half sacks, and he's 33. And I wouldn't be surprised, Paulie, to, to not that I was thinking that, but I wouldn't be surprised if, in fact, he said, you know what, yeah, I am going to come back. If he changed his mind, pulled the Tom Brady himself in the offseason and changed his mind, I wouldn't be surprised. But um, that being said, he's a slam dunk Hall of Famer. That he was asked about regrets, and he said, I'm at peace. He said, I'd much rather go out knowing I can still play than knowing I was getting my butt kicked and embarrassing myself. That was his response. Yep. But there are, there are already conspiracy theories that he's going to sit out, pull a Tom Brady, and come back and go to Pittsburgh and play with his two brothers. Well, I can only say this, and I said it from the beginning. The only thing better than one watt is two watts. The only thing better than two watts <laughs> You go three watts. You know what I mean? All right. uh, I would love that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Would love that. Wait a minute. We lost Super Bowl 43. Is that what it was, Paul? Was it Super Bowl yes. 43? Yep. We lost that to you, and now we're going to lose J.J. Watt to you in the Steelers game? No. No, Craig. We're putting our foot down yet. I can understand. Yeah. But 
should JJ want to come north? I'm sure that you know. I'm sure things could uh, be worked out. Certainly, no, I'll pick him up at the airport. Not a problem. I'll, I'll... Yeah, you would, would you? But wouldn't that be a great way to get out? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. you know and, what I'm saying. And his and his contract is up at the end of this year. They were already Gosh. trying to figure out, okay, how can we get him back? Um, now he's done. And and to Ron's point, he's your leading sack guy. He's got the most tackles for loss. He's got the most quarterback pressures. It's going to be a huge hole on the Cardinals' defensive line. I mean, there's no question about that. And the leadership void. I did a radio yes. show with Drew. I did a radio show with Drew Stanton yesterday, and we were talking about JJ Watt addressing the locker room after the Denver loss because it was on Hard Knocks. NFL Films was in there. You got to see it, uncut, unfettered, all the f bombs in there, everything. It was a flawless post game speech. I would say it's ninety eight percent better than most of the coaches in the NFL. His ability to address the room, command attention, get respect, motivate, hold guys accountable. It's elite, that leadership, and just his ability to – Cliff Kingsbury has told us that multiple times. They knew what kind of player he was. They had no idea what sort of leader he is and the way he can just talk to the entire room at the instant and just have something very poignant and meaningful to say. Cardinals are going to miss that in a, in a big way, both in the locker room, out on the field, and beyond. All right. Hey, Paulie P., uh, big skin, pencil neck. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining the Three Wolves of Football. The first time, our, you are our official breaking news That's report. Right, Nobody better to break down J.J. Watts retiring. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Polly. Absolutely. Now I can go back in the house. I got kicked out because we were talking football. You know, too much football talk in the house around the holidays. So I enjoyed it, gentlemen. All right, all Paulie, the best. Make, make sure you go back in there and tell your wife you didn't suck. <laughs> by, by the way, Polly, Hoopy says hi. Oh, yes. Oh my goodness. Oh yes, absolutely. Let me tell you, the next time I have an opportunity for one of the homemade cinnamon buns. I mean, beautiful. <laughs> and that is just an excellent breakdown from Paul Calvisi, Arizona sideline reporter. We're thanking so much, Pony. I know why you love him so much, man. I just he's been a great dude for so many years. And he was the only guy to go to Hoopy's house from Arizona, I believe. And also to watch Mavericks game here in Morgantown, West Virginia. So he has been around. He's been with the Wolfleys. And unfortunately for Paulie, of course, he also had a front row seat to the dark days. Just saying. <laughs> okay, we're not going to go there. It's a happy new year, brother. And yes, being is. that is, this is a really special moment. This is a wonderful moment coming up here. This is a sad moment. But, you know, Derry, this is a moment that for the Immaculate Reception, the 50 year celebration, the Franco's passing away right before. What an amazing, hard time, but also a time of remembrance. But you were right in the middle of it. This is from NFL Films. 50 years in the making. Let's believe the Steelers are going to burn the victory. Pick it back. Dumps it right into the flat. And Najee leaps over a defender. Shotgun snap. Fires for the end zone. Touchdown. George Pickens. And the Steelers forge ahead. This is unbelievable. Oh, I know. Franco's rejoicing, man. Uh, this has got to be a moment to be shared with everybody. So much emotion, 
Uh, someone's must be going through. You must probably be exhausted. And go ahead. I know you went to Frankel's uh, uh, funeral today. No, so go ahead, the brother. whole thing. Yeah, there was all the guys got together today, and uh, it was sad. Yet it was there was joy, there was sorrow, there was tri- there was a triumphant feeling. It, it went through all the ranges of emotions that you could possibly have. You talk about a game fifty years in the making. And uh, as we as that game unfolded, you could feel like, oh man, the game is it's close and everything. And then Kenny Pickett put it away with that beautiful laser like uh, strike there, fourteen yarder, Pickett to Pickens, and it was a beautiful fourteen yard um, stocking stuffer lump of coal in the in the you know the stocking of the the boys from Vegas, fifty years in the making, like we were talking about, and it was just a great great culmination of all the events and. I, I think that uh, Art Rooney, uh, the owner of the Steelers, I think he said it best at halftime when he was um, addressing the crowd and they were officially retiring number 32. And he said, it wasn't supposed to be this way. The big man was supposed to be here. And I think that echoed through it, the entire Akershire Stadium. You know, and everybody really felt at that moment the loss of Franco and just what it meant to not just the Steelers and not just football but the city of pittsburgh people loved franco franco was iconic i mean it was just a little over two weeks ago he was on the show with pat fryermuth and i that we do a, a show um up at the uh, giant eagle market district and he sat in because he had actually been he has that penn state connection with pat fryermuth the tight end and uh he franco had actually read the draft notice when pat was drafted by the steelers he was the guy that that read the the draft, you know, and it was, um, it was a special thing. And uh, it was just, um, it was very sad, but we saw everybody from Terry Bradshaw to, you know, John Cole to Joe Green, they were all gathered together today. And it was a time of uh, mourning and yet a time of uh, remembering. And uh, that was important because there's so much about Franco and he's touched so many lives. Yeah, you know what's amazing about that, Craig, too? Just listening to you talk, it brings back memories. And, um, you know, you guys all know my Jack Lambert story the first time I was in the Steelers locker room. I'm not going to tell that story right now, obviously. But you know how upset I was in terms of, of feeling out of place and just really insecure. Craig was showering. And Franco was one of the guys that um, walked by and just gave me the biggest grin on his face, just saying, you know, he didn't say anything to me, just nodded to me and walked by with that huge grin on his face. It was after a win, obviously. And, you know, I'll never forget that, uh, the way that made me feel at that point in time. And um, it seemed like that is how he treated everybody. Yeah. Um, was with that kind of love and respect. And uh, I think it's one of the reasons why there are so many people that absolutely adore this guy. Yeah. Unfortunately you know, so, fellas. Sorry, brother. I, let, me, uh, let, me fi- let me finish up my thoughts right here. In retrospect, and I, I'm sitting here looking at this, and, you know, Derry, I hear you talking there, that and that just monumental moment. Monumental moment. I mean, no one else is doing it. You did you did it, and you were reaching out to Steeler Nation and to any Franco Harris fan there there is. And Pony, when I sit there, I, I think about you and, and with Pauly P there, and, and you have J.J. Watts, and you have Larry Fitzgeralds, and, and the really special people 
that you come across in your job and profession. I just, I really wanted to, to show this. Like, this was really some special moments. Some very honorable, I guess, very honorable to be able and honored for you guys to be in those spots. Mm. It's my privilege. You know, I mean, we're think of us. We're just three guys from Orchard Park, man. I mean, you know. That'll never change. Yeah. And and the thing about it is, I, you know, I had dreams bigger than my body or my talent. You know, I mean, that's just the way it was. But God gave me the desire of my heart when I was seven years old. And I told Hoopy I was going to be a pro football player. How that ever came about, I don't know. But it was set in my heart at a very young age. You know, and so, um, yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a great ride. It's been a great ride, and met a lot of great people. And Franco was definitely one of those upper echelon, terrific people that when you cross paths with him, you always remember him, and you will always remember that you indeed spent some time with him because he would always you would leave feeling better about yourself, about whatever was going on in your life because Franco was just one of those people that touched lives and made a difference. And that's and, why football is so much more than just a game. Right. Just a game. And the next thing I want to talk about is December 25th, 1975. was 47 years ago. The day of the terrible towel with Mr. Myron Cope. In 1975, Cope's passion. In 1975, Cope's passion for the Steelers led him to invent the team's most visible symbol. The Terrible Towel. And the towel is out. Feel the power, Byron. Oh, I can feel that power. But in its debut, one Steeler veteran was not impressed. Randy Russell, when I was given the towel to build up for that first game, he comes up to me in the locker room. He says, Coach, what's this crap about a terrible towel? You know what he did in that game? He cut, he picked up a fumble. At the Steelers' seven-yard line. And a listener of mine sends me a little poem which went like this. He ran 93 like a bat out of hell. And no one could see how he rambled so well. Twas easy, said Andy. And he flashed a crooked smile. I was snapped on the fanny by the terrible towel. From past to present, the terrible towel has become a part of Pittsburgh, as have Cope's music video. All right, Derry, I know you got a lot to say about that, but I think we all do, because we've all actually held one in our hand. Well, the funny thing about it is, first of all, Andy Russell's return there, that was so long. They said it, he Andy was so slow, they went to commercial break twice during the <laughs> run back. <laughs> but, um, Myron, Myron's probably a reason that, I have a job in broadcasting because Myron just broke the mold of what a broadcaster was. You know, he was not clinically trained or collegiately trained or whatever trained you could get. He was just Myron and he was just so unique. And I'll never forget I, when I first came to Pittsburgh as a rookie, I heard this little squeaky voice on the radio, you know, yoy and double yoy and all this stuff. So at the end of the year, I remember I was at a sports banquet with Myron and we were both speaking at the same thing. So Myron was the MC, and he's going on. So I come up, and I do my spiel. So one of the things I was doing was I was just cracking on Myron. Who names your kid Myron? What's up, Myron? You know what I mean? <laughs> and I sit down. He gets up, and he just rips me, right, for about 
three minutes, four minutes, something like that. He's killing me with everything, right? And I'm just laughing. And he's he's got me, and he knows it, you know. And then he he culminates with all. He goes, Wolf Lane, let that be a lesson to you. You never mess with the man who's got the microphone last. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So, so true. true. It was so cool to actually see him right there once again. Uh, my thoughts on Andy Russell as well, running. He looked exactly like I did on the fake punt against Boston College where I scored from 67 yards out, snapped it, direct snap to the personal protector, ran down and beat Doug Flutie once again, Doug. <laughs> and you know I did it, Doug. We beat you. You never beat us, Doug, ever. I'm just saying. That means yeah. the Mountaineers, and just remember this, though, as soon as you scored a touchdown, you crawled your way over to the oxygen tank. You could see the monkey on his back, could you not? I mean, you could see it. Oh, yeah. I've had that monkey there before. <laughs> I know what that's like, but that's great. 47 years ago, it was invented. 1975, December 27th, it was the Colts game, the playoff games for the Steelers. So uh, I, had to, I had to throw that in there, and it was wonderful to see Myron Cope there yep. and, and his face and just the way he was. Pretty cool. But now let's move away from the Steelers and the Cardinals, and let's get to something I think is pretty cool because – uh, Ed Reed was named Bethune Cookman's uh, head coach. You know, as a former player with the, the Ravens and, and coaching, is this a trend going on by Deion Sanders? Because you see a lot of you see a lot of head coaches in the NFL that are, come from the NFL, but you don't see a lot of NFL players going to college coaches like Deion did. You know, Jerry, let's start with you. What's your take on this? I think this is going to be a trend here. I think more and more NFL players. I like it. Well, here's the thing about it. I mean, um, you've got somebody of the magnitude of an Ed Reed, or let's go back to Deion Sanders. What what young man doesn't want to be recruited by somebody like that? You know what I mean? You've got a legend, an absolute legend. You know, um, it was you know, it was amazing today. I, I got to talk to um and by the way, uh Jay Paterno says hi. Uh I got to talk to Joey Jay today and uh you know, we were just talking about the legend of his father. And, and you know, coaching legends are amazing. But to, if you don't have a, a history of coaching, like Joe Buck came, you know, on through Penn State and had so many years, you take an NFL player and you automatically get street cred in recruiting. You know, I mean, it's just, like I said, Ed Reed, Deion Sanders, they show up at your house. Wow, that's pretty amazing. And so who knows? This could well be, a, you know, something that we see a little bit more of. Yeah, no, I totally agree with what you're saying right here. I think this is the way that it's going to continue to go. Um, it really isn't going to be so much about hardcore coaching in some of these situations. It's going to be about recruiting. Now with the NIL and the transfer portal being what it is right now, it, it is free agency. It is free agency that has come to college football. And it's not, it's not just for guys who are unhappy. It isn't. It's for guys that suddenly have good years for lesser universities that suddenly want to take a jump up, if you will, and go somewhere else and get a better NIL deal. This, these kids are not entering the transfer portal just because they're unhappy where they are. 
a lot of times now they're actually using whatever university, whatever program they're playing for to jump up to the next level, so to speak. Um, now we could sit around and talk about how wise that is um, or, or how foolish that is, but um, this is something that's happening. And anytime you have those conditions being what they are, I think having somebody that has that name recognition, especially when they're tied to the NFL, like a Deion Sanders, like an Ed Reed, I think that's going to be paramount. I think it's going to become the norm in a lot of these universities to have a guy that is um, a head coach, no doubt, but more of a figurehead head coach in the name recognition. And then you hire a bunch of hardcore college coaches that know how to go out and recruit as well. Um, I think this is a model that we're going to see repeated. Well, as I said, I like the battle because if he really cares that these guys know how to get to the NFL and they want to be shown, or these recruits want to be shown a way to get there, they know how. And you know Ed Reed knows how. And so if he's going to give his time back to our youth, then I, I believe that's that, that's a good thing. But as we go ahead to this next one, I have to take you up north and, of course, go to – uh, Buffalo. And we want to just say, hey, you know, prayers for Buffalo. Right. Uh, probably 30 people have passed away in the storm. And we, we certainly understand how bad it can get there. So all our prayers for Buffalo. But as we go on, we're, this is football. We talk about Josh Allen. This last week, he has the most TDs in first five seasons with 172 total TDs, breaking Dan Marino's record. Now, that's pretty impressive. And I know I've always talked about Josh Allen, but the dude is special. Pony Boy, start us out. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I am with you on this one right now. Um, this young man, when he was drafted, came out and he didn't have a ton of fanfare. Even though he was a high, a high pick, of course, he did not have an awful lot of cred. Um, it wasn't like people were saying, oh, Josh Allen is a slam dunk. Um, this young man came into the league and he put his head down, and he went to work, and he learned the NFL game. And the one thing that he's got, um, he's got every tool you could possibly want from your franchise quarterback. He he can make every throw uh, physically on the field. But my goodness, um, his competitiveness, I don't even want to call it leadership. I, I don't even want to call it that because there are a lot of guys that are leaders, but He's got a ferocity to him, a ferocity that is as good as I've ever seen from a football player, let alone a quarterback. You know, you guys know my take on this. I, I, I've talked about a, a quarterback really isn't a football player. He isn't. There, there are quarterbacks and then there are football players. Now, Josh Allen is a rare exception of that because he engages in the essence of playing the game of football. And that essence is built up in a physicality that um, few can understand unless you've played it yourself. <laughs> and Josh Allen can truly understand what it's like to try to truck somebody and run somebody over. Now, does he slide? And do I think he needs to slide a little bit more? Yeah, I do think that. He doesn't need to put his body at risk unnecessarily. But 
Josh Allen is is a pure on football player through and through, and that resonates with his teammates tremendously. This guy, it's a question of how many Super Bowls I think he's going to win. You know, Derry, what, what do you think about it? When you, when you see a guy that does sacrifice his body, and we all know that that's going to end at some point or at least reduce greatly uh, the times he's going to take the hits because it's just that's just a force of nature that's life. But what does that do for the chemistry of a team to see your leader out there? That you're a blocker. That you got to go out there and you're going to go protect him because that's what you did as an offensive lineman. You were a protector. What would you do for a guy like that? You'd do anything. You know, I mean, that's literally what it is. You, you know, that's that's your guy. And you got to protect that guy. You know, and you don't protect him just in the pocket. You protect him 20 yards down the field, 40 yards down the field, 100 yards down the field. You're there by him. You know, the thing that I like and I really about Josh that uh, I, I think is pretty amazing is. Yeah, it's, it's a ferocity, but it's balanced by humility. And the two of them come together in a way that is so, man, it's freaking good. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just great because you got this this hard-charging guy, but he's he's got that sense of humility that, that really endears him to not just his teammates, but the fans too, you know? And it, there's it's a special thing. And you appreciate it, you know, and I, like I said, I was just with Terry Bradshaw, you know, and, and, and Bradshaw was very much the same and the same kind of guy. You know, he was a very physical run and all that stuff, and he had the gun. Um, so, you know, I, I've seen this before, um, and I, I think uh, Josh Allen is kind of a throwback to Roman Gabriel, Bobby Douglas, Joe Cap. you know, I mean, those guys that, that just, they slugged it out each and every day. You know, they they might get sacked and get up and punch the guy who sacked them. You know what I mean? That's just the way they were. You know, that was back in the day. So I, I, I think it's special, and uh, I hope uh, for the city of Buffalo that he's able to deliver at some point in time. Never at the Steelers' expense, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a good close. No, Pony Boy, if someone takes a cheap shot at him and – you know you're going to get a penalty. Do you still protect them? Take the penalty. <laughs> Is that yes. even a question? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, look, I, I, I've said this many, many times. Um, I never cheap shot at a dude on the field unless he did it first. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Liar, liar, tongue on fire. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, Craig, I was never the dirty guy. I never tried to cheap shot again. There was one guy that I did, and his name was Buddy Ryan. Next. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All I can tell you is, for me, I'm not sure the statute of limitations is up yet, so I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. And and you know what's really crazy is when you talk about the statute of limitations, because when you're considered to be a very, very strong person, uh, you know, people look at you and say, hey, you know, there's something that can really hurt there. And when you're voted, my brother Craig Derry, the Steelers' fourth strongest man in history, uh, by Eric Hassler, his article, and it was Mike Webster, it was James Harrison, it was John Cole, and then you as the fourth strongest stealer ever in history, an article written there. And I want to know what you think about that. I'm amazed. I didn't even, I had never seen it, never heard it. You know, really? You sure it's not um, underneath your pillow, the article? No, it's not. <laughs> I'm not there. Um, it's an honor. You know, uh, I trained uh, many years with Mike Webster, John Cole. You know, um, Terry Long was another guy that. He was, was five. 
Yeah, he was a huge, strong guy. Um, it was a brotherhood. You know, we were all smaller than everybody else. I mean, the thing about the NFL, or I should say about the Steelers trapping game was it really took kind of like small, shorter guys because the under and up the leverage game that Chuck Knoll believed in. Um, so if you're not going to be very big, then you better be strong and you better be quick and strong. And those are the the attributes that you had to uh, develop. And if you wanted to spend any time in a Chuck Knoll, you know, Pittsburgh Steeler uniform, um, that's what you had to do. And, you know, the weight training was fun. It was you're in a bunch of guys. You know, you got all these competitions going on within the, your very own workout. You know, I mean, there's John Kolb over here doing some, some uh, you know, pulls. And we would go man-to-man with a towel pull, you know, and just see who could do that, you know. And so there were just so many great times of being together in the weight room. And, and you know, and, and, you know you'd know, you bet cheeseburgers on, you know, whether you not you get the most reps and something or what have you. So it was always – it was fun and it was great training. So it's an honor and a privilege, and I'm humbly um, grateful that uh, somebody even knew my name. Yeah, can I can I ask you this, Craig? And it's dawning on me that I, I've never asked you this question before. But was there one feat of strength <laughs> that you did do that you went, man? That 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 is pretty cool. Because <laughs> uh, I know you've done a lot. What's that? I know you've done a lot. I, well, I I've, I've, I've been fortunate to train with people like Don Reinhout, who was right. four-time world's strongest man and also uh, a world champion powerlifter and the world's strongest man. I'm sorry. Got that all mixed up. And, you know, anything I've done compared to him, I, it's nothing. You know what I mean? Because he was just so amazing for myself. You know, I will tell you, I've done some dumb stuff, though. Okay, you know how I had a penchant and love the old time strongman, you know? Yeah. So I loved the I you know, I learned how to roll up a frying pan and I learned how to drive a nail through a board and stuff like that. And I was able to do that, <laughs> you know, just stuff like that, right? You know, he bends steel bars and you know, all that. So but the one dumbest thing I did was I I read about the the mighty Adam. He was a gentleman that uh was a strong guy from way back in the early nineteen hundreds. And he did this one thing. He'd drive a nail through the board, and then he'd pull it out with his teeth. So I drove the nail through the board, and I pulled it out with my teeth, and I cracked the tooth. <laughs> oh. well, I'll tell you what. You're sitting there going, oh, I can't believe I did that. What yeah, I, I thought you were going to say for sure when you competed in the World's Strongest Man contest where they hit they hitched you up and they had the semi behind you, and they didn't release the brake, and you passed out. <laughs> You know, that's my you favorite. Know, that's my that, favorite. That was unbelievable. That was the most painful, single, exhaustive thing I've ever done in my life. You know, if you remember, the, the, the brakes, there was still air in the brake lines. However, you know, it worked out. And right, I, and it was it kept stopping. You remember? And I'd dig it out, stop. And, you know, and it literally, I passed out. I literally passed out. It was just the most exhaustive string. the hardest. And here's the thing about it. everybody in my lane lost until the last one when he, the truck was warmed up enough. But the funny part, and I was first in the line, so it was just brutal, all right, because it got lesser. But the, the, the thing about it was the fact that um, they said afterwards, they said, well, you, do you, we found out the air brake, the air was still air in the brake, so forth, da, da, da. Um, would you like to do it again? I said, no. <laughs> I almost died. <laughs> no, I don't want to go again. <laughs> no way. 
Well, oh, so I, yeah, I've done a number of stupid things in my life, and those are just examples. Yeah, I have, we have pictures to prove it too, which eventually will make it on the show, I'm sure. I've just been being nice to you, but I will say this: the one thing that I do remember, and, and Tom Haney is still—he uh, hangs out, he listens to our social media. I, I believe he still watches this. So, Tom was your guy, your leader, author. Yeah, Tommy, amazing. And I'll, I'll never forget the powerlifting champion there is, is New York State. I'm, I'm not going to say his name. But when I saw the crazy things that you guys did in the powerlifting, when he actually was doing a squat there and he blew out his pants and, and he blew out and he took a big old dump. And I'll never forget, he he racked the, he racked the bar, didn't say a word to anybody, and walked on off. See ya. <laughs> That's, that's not something anybody wants to see. Yeah, that's for sure. Oh my gosh! I'll never forget it as long as You're I live. Embarrassing. Oh Maybe. my gosh! So to end it off the show because we had such a great time with Paul. We talked about the Cardinals. Big. It really is a big deal to have you and Paulie P. I didn't talk about JJ Watt, and it really is a big deal, Craig, to have you there. We're talking about Franco and this. This is just a lot of important stuff was going on today, and I, I didn't want to miss it. But I will say this: it's just a little bit of fun. The fullback still does live, Pony Boy. And this is for you, Alec Gingold from the Dolphins. You can yes. see him here, right there. At the fullback lives. It's proof he lives. And he's still alive in the NFL. And I want to see more. Yeah, no, I'm with you on this. I really do believe it's going to happen too, Soda Pop. I do. Um, uh, the the pendulum is definitely swinging back. I, I talk about this all the time, but people really need to understand that. The new age offense, it, it was going to take over the NFL. Now all of a sudden I think it's swinging back. And in gold and guys like Patrick Ricard, um, the fullback for the Baltimore Ravens as well. Uh, th- these guys are going to continue to make the fullback relevant, I think, as the football universe unfolds. No question about it. I think you're going to see it. The Steelers are using Connor Hayward, the younger brother of um, you know Cam Hayward, in, in an H-back, sometimes fullback-like manner, although Derek Watt is also a fullback and. It's funny, they've started handing the ball off to Derek Watt a little bit on some third down and fourth yard, uh, you know, short yardage runs. But, yeah, the, the fullback is an important weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that everybody wants to come out in 11 personnel and get out there and whip the ball all over the place. But you get that fullback, eye formation, you've got a Patrick Ricard. Or you take, like, uh, who was it, the Carolina Panthers. They, they got a rookie offensive lineman, uh, and he's six six three and a quarter. They line him up as a power fullback. You, yeah. Do you really want to be an inside linebacker having to take that guy on? That's not no. going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> or how about a Pene Sewell with the Lions going in motion and catching a pass on the flat? <laughs> exactly. Every fat man's dream. <laughs> Every fat man's dream. All right. Brothers, I love you, man. I want to wish you both a very, very uh, happy New Year's safe. Uh, May 2023 your best. I love you guys, man. And uh, go ahead, Pony, you first. No, <laughs> I was just going to say I love you too, Soda Pop. Love you, Craig. Happy New Year uh, to you and your family. I'm praying for you both, of course, going into 2023. Right. Um, and um, Hoopy, love you. Happy yeah. New Year. Actually, we got to start getting the thing together where we go one, two, three, and we say, love you, Hoopy. <laughs> All right. I like that. Let's try yeah. it. Let's try it. On three. One, two, three. Love, Love you, you Hoopy. Hoopy.
All right. Hey, we are totally together in harmony. All right. Love you guys. Take care now. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Out of here.